Let's pray. Almighty God, we know that this world is not our home, that we're here just for a a short season. But we do thank you for giving us uh, the priceless gift of eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. Help us, O Lord, to keep the promise of heaven in our hearts. And may we pass through this day and every day with joy, with thanksgiving, the blessings you have bestowed upon us. Lord, we recognize that these are certainly difficult days and darkness just surrounds us, but we thank you, Lord, that because of you, we do not have to fear the darkness because even in dark times, you are there and you are the light. Lord Jesus, you have come as a light into the world so that we do not have to live in darkness and help us to recognize that the enemy wants us to dwell in darkness, but you, O oh Lord, have given us light, and we praise you for that. And we know that whatever, whatever is good and perfect comes from you, the creator of all light. So now, Lord, we, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to worship. So, Lord, we just commit this service to you and pray that you will be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Well, uh, again, uh, my name is Dennis Fay. I am one of the elders here. Uh, and as Courtney just mentioned, we are going through uh, some of the Psalms uh, this summer. And each Sunday, we're picking a, a, uh, a certain Psalm to share about. And this morning, uh, we will look at Psalm 40. Now, I think one of the many benefits of reading the Psalms is that they present us with pictures of what godly people have gone through as they experience difficulties uh, in the past. And when we read the Psalms, we should at least, um, I believe we can be encouraged uh, because it helps us to keep on living for God as we go through difficult times. And let's face it, we will all go through trials and tribulations uh, in, in this world. It was Pastor Thornley, the, the founder uh, of this church, who suggested, recommended that I read a psalm a day regardless of whatever else I was reading. And over the years, I have tried to do that. Not always successful, but I spend a lot of time uh, in the psalms. And quite frankly, I am always encouraged by reading the psalms. I think it was in the 90s, and Pastor Thornley, Pastor Jeff, was really going through a dark season in his life. He was in a pit. He had started the church and the school. Things were going well. And then he lost three key individuals in his life in a matter of, what, three or four years. Lost his mentor, Pastor Dixon. Many of you knew him. Lost his father. Lost his mother. Uh, Pastor Jeff was in a pit. He was down. He was tired. Uh, He was spiritually tired, physically tired, emotionally tired. In our employee handbook, it allows pastors to take a sabbatical every seven years or so. And Pastor Jeff took that sabbatical to get renewed uh, and to be refreshed. I remember when he came back from that sabbatical, I asked him, well, Jeff, what did you do? Yeah, I was being a little nosy, I guess. But I just wanted to know, what what did he study? What did he look at for 90 days? And he told me, I went through all of the Psalms. 
I went through every psalm, and you know, he said, Dennis, wow, it just picked me up. I, I, I am encouraged. And um, that was exciting to hear that. And he said he had certain psalms that he really, really enjoyed. And Psalm 40 was one of those psalms. And that's the psalm I am going to look at uh, this morning. And I think Psalm 40 is one of the clearest psalms that shows us a pattern of how a person with faith in God goes through difficult times. So, and what I'd like to do is there's 17 verses in Psalm 40. I want to read all 17 verses. But this morning, just so you understand this, I'm going to focus on the first three verses. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along or on your uh, mobile devices, or you can follow with me as I read from the screen. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 17. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O oh Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord. Make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. May God bless the reading of his word. As we look at, I think, the first three verses here in Psalm 40, you see a pattern. And in this pattern, you're going to see six stages. All right? And I'm going to talk about all three stages. For example, in verse 2, it describes King David admitting He's in a pit. David is in a pit. 
Then, and that's the first stage of the pattern. Then we see he cries out to God for help at the end of verse 1, right? He cries out to God. The third stage is patiently waiting for God to deliver him, waiting on God. Then we see God rescues him by drawing him out of the pit, which is stage 4. And I love stage 5, right? Stage 5 is God gives David a new song to sing from his heart. And finally, we see many others come to trust in God because of David's testimony, trusting in God. I want to take a look, a quick look, at each stage this morning. So, the first thing we see is David is in a pit. Now, I do not think this is a literal pit. I think uh, David may be uh, describing a situation uh, he feels that he's in, or a situation that he's facing. And although, not really sure the exact situation that he's facing, but we get a sense of what David feels like when he uses the imagery of a, of a slimy pit. A slimy pit. You know, um, now look, I have never personally been in a pit or trapped in a pit, all right? Um, but when I was preparing this message, I couldn't help but to think about those nine Pennsylvania coal miners about 20 years ago who were in a pit. Not only were they in a pit, they were in a pit full of water, of slush and mud. And that's what a miry bog means in verse 2. It's deep mud and slush. I mean, look, it's tough enough to get out of a dry pit. But can you imagine trying to get out of a pit that is full of mud and slush? I mean, the more you try to get out, you keep falling back. You keep trying and trying and trying, and there's just no way out. Yeah, it's, it's, the, the sense of desperation must be overwhelming. You know, the prophet Jeremiah was thrown into a cistern, which is a pit. Um, and Jeremiah says in um, verse 38, 6, And there was no water in the cistern, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud. Now, can you imagine being in a pit and in mud and you're sinking and feeling like there's no one here to help me? The sense of desperation must be overwhelming. Now, again, I hope no one here has actually fallen into a pit, but figuratively, what do you think it would look like if you were? I would imagine that there'd be... um, a sense of hopelessness and, and, and desperation, like you're stuck for a long time in a bind and you just can't get out. And the more you try, the harder you try, uh, it's just, you, you can't do it. And, and you're feeling overwhelmed and, and you have a sense of desperation. I, I think that's what being in a pit feels like, a sense of desperation. And you know what? I'm not just talking about a physical pit, right? It could be an emotional pit, a spiritual pit. Right? And, and, and it could be any one of us. This could be any one of us. It could be the breaking point for someone who's a workaholic. It's working 10 to 12 hours a day, seven days a week, and they see no light at the end of the tunnel. It could be the limit of a small uh, mother or mother with small children at home. It could be the unreal, unreal, unrealistic expectations of taking too many classes for, for a student. It could be the physical and recurrent pain of someone who's dealing with an illness. 
It could be, I don't know, the constant strains of not having enough money to make ends meet. Or it could be a recurring sin that you're struggling with. These are all pits that we face. You scratch and you claw and you try to get out to get some air and some relief, but you keep falling back into the pit. There just seems no hope. Then a sense of desperation and futility settles in. Have you ever felt that way? King David did. That's what he must have felt like. But what did King David do? He cries out to God for help. Verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me, and he heard my cry. David cries out, and he asks God for help. And he's, look, he's most likely, I believe, crying tears of pain because his suffering is so great. And I say this because Psalm 6, 6 says, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. Listen, King David did not hide his tears when he was hurting. I'm going to tell you something. When a broken man or a broken woman cries out to God, I think it's a beautiful thing. I really do. I think it's a beautiful thing. It shows a realization that he or she cannot do it on their own, that they need help, but specifically they need help from God. And here's the other thing. David cries out to God. He did not cry out asking other people to help him. No, some people are willing to say they, they need help, and they'll seek help everywhere or with anyone other than God, who's the one who can help us, the one who can deliver us. Folks, there are times that are so desperate, only God can help us. Only God can help us. You know, throughout history, believers have cried out to God in times of distress. And crying out is voicing a fervent petition to God, usually out loud. And sometimes, sometimes, sometimes after years of praying, a single desperate urgent moment of crying out will yield direction and or deliverance immediately. Folks, there could be powerful results crying out to God. And here's the promise. Here's the promise. Psalm 50, 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God wants to be glorified. Crying out to God shows genuine humility. Sometimes pride makes it difficult to admit that we cannot overcome a problem or an obstacle. But you know what? Regardless, God always can. While God does resist the proud who believe they have no need of him, he delights in a broken and contrite heart who humbly seeks his aid. Crying out to God shows unconditional surrender. When a situation becomes so desperate that only God can deliver you, crying out represents total, unconditional surrender to him and his ways. And if sin is a part of this, we must recognize the sin, confess the sin, repent of the sin, 
and totally surrender ourselves to his perfect will. Crying out that God shows us personal helplessness. Do you tend to believe that God can only help you in the big stuff of life? Stuff that matters, really matters? Can I tell you something? We need God in every situation, right? Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. And you know what? What problem's too big for God, right? He's God. We need to understand that we're helplessness, helpless. We need him. And crying out that God shows us faith in God's power and his resources. Your cry to God acknowledges God's ability to do what no one else can do for you. All right? I mean, during the storm on the Sea of Galilee, the disciples acknowledged Jesus' power to rescue them when they cried out, Save us, O Lord, for we are perishing. They knew that it was Jesus who had the power to calm the seas. They understood that. I also just need to clarify something, and I want to say this before you take out the communication cards and start writing notes back to me, all right? I am not suggesting other people can't help you. God uses other people. My word, if you're sick, see a doctor, (laughs) okay? See a doctor, all right? Just don't make your doctor your God, to think that with him or her alone, you can have healing. And this is true for whoever we put our hopes in. It could be your spouse. It could be your parent. It could be your boss. It could be one of the elders here at the church, okay? They are not able to help just by themselves. We also need God. Is your hope in God or man? That's stage two. Stage three is now waiting for God to deliver. Now, having cried out to God for help, we then need to wait. You ready for this? And to wait patiently. Yeah, you heard it. Often the first reaction we have when we're in a situation is to try harder, and oftentimes this tires us out and makes it worse. Not suggesting you can't try, all right? But sometimes we need to wait. We need to be patient. Now, I'm going to confess before all of you right now, this is really, really difficult for me. I am not a patient man. The funny thing is that most of us, when we call out to God for help, we don't wait long enough for God to act. And after a short while, we start to do things on our own. And I can tell you from history, when Dennis does things on his own, I tend to mess him up, all right? But instead of just continuing to pray and to seek God and to wait for God to act. David waited patiently for God to act, and God, in his time, his time, acted. He lifted David up out of the pit and set him on a rock. By the way, Joseph, in the Old Testament, right, um, waited patiently for God to act. And soon enough, he was lifted out of the pit. He went to Egypt, and God did some amazing things in Joseph's life. Jeremiah waited patiently for the Lord to act as well. And now in Jeremiah's case, he used an official to plead Jeremiah's case to the king. And the king told the official to take 30 men to get Jeremiah out of the pit. Now, I'm not aware if Jeremiah asked to be for help, but God brought it to him anyway. Well, listen. Whatever you may be facing, 
continue to wait for God to act. But what does it mean to wait patiently? It's an easy thing for me to stand up here and say, wait patiently, right? Especially when I have a hard time doing this myself. Waiting patiently for the Lord means actively seeking him. It means a continuous prayer or praying for God's help. It means continuous obedience to God, even as we wait for him to solve our problems. It means considering and reflecting on God's word that he has spoken to us in the Bible. It means to focus all our energy on him and him alone. That's waiting patiently. It's not neglecting God. It's not denying the problem. It's actively waiting and hoping in God. How long will it take? I have an answer for you. I have no idea. (laughs) I don't know. It could be years. I mean, there were times when King David had to wait for years for his prayers to be answered. We don't know how long it will take for your situation to be changed. But our responsibility is still to wait patiently for the Lord because he will act. And here's the thing. When we wait patiently for the Lord, when we're seeking him, right, when we're obeying him, right, we draw closer to him, and God draws closer to us. So even as we wait patiently for the Lord, it's a good process because we're drawing closer to God. It's a good thing. You know, Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The fourth stage is that in God's time, he rescued David by drawing David out of the pit. Again, I'm not really sure what David was dealing with. God may have healed him from some illness, or perhaps God restored his name in the face of his enemies who were putting him to shame and disgracing him, or perhaps it was David's own sin. David sinned when he gave in to lust, and had the affair with Bathsheba. And of course, then gave orders for uh, Bathsheba's husband to go to the war and ended up being killed in combat. Whatever it was, God rescued David from the pit and gave him a rock to stand on. And you know what that rock is, right? Verse 17 that I read earlier tells us that you are my help and my deliverer, do not delay, oh my God. And Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horde of my salvation, my stronghold. James, Brother James talked about this last week. When he says you need, We need to recognize God as our refuge. God is our refuge. God is our rock. God is our fortress. And you know what? He is the solid ground for us and for David. Jesus Christ is our rock. And as a result of his rescue, God, and I love this, God gave David a new song to sing. This is so cool. Now, what does that exactly mean? I think it means, this new song means new words of praise for God that David did not possess before. I mean, due to this rescue of his life, David has experienced the help of God in a way that he never did before. And this results in new, new words. And I'm sure a lot of the Psalms 
are his new songs. And this is why it's so exciting. And listen, every time we go through a new experience with God and are rescued by God, we will have a new appreciation. And quite frankly, we should have new words to sing and praise about our God. You ever wonder why some of these great songwriters have, can write so many songs? Because they've gone through so many things in life. And that's what they write about. Each time we go through an experience with God, we have a new song or a new story to tell about what he has done. We're not boasting in ourselves. We're boasting on the Lord. And I know some people are so gifted, they can reflect on their past experiences and put it in a, in a song. I can't. All right? But King David could. Some of you can. But regardless, if you can do this in a song, you can do this in a story. You can share what God has put in your heart. You, can, you all have a story. They're called testimonies. And there's another reason God gives us a new song in our life. Not only so it benefits us, so that other people can hear and trust in God. And that is stage six. Trust, verse three, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. We've got to tell. When God rescues us, or when he answers our prayers, we now have a concrete testimony and a story to share with others. I love testimonies. I, I, I do. Look, we know, we know that many people have come to Christ or have been curious about Christ due to a, a Christian testimony. You know what? Testimonies are real. They're personal. And you can't dispute somebody's testimony because it's your testimony and it's real. That's Testimonies are one way to draw others into a search for God. And listen, every Christian has a salvation testimony. But every, I believe every person sitting in this worship center right now has a story of how God answered one of your prayers or how God has rescued you. You have that story. It's yours. Your personal testimony of how God saved you is just a powerful tool to share with others. But we, we must share. And you know what, folks? It's really not complicated because it's your story. It's your story. Last Sunday, I, um, I was moved by James and his story about this young infantryman, Kyle. If you were here, young man, Afghanistan, combat, gave his life to Christ. Almost immediately, God put a new song in his heart, wrote a letter to his wife, just sharing the experience, humbling himself, saying, I need to be a better father. Then a week later, Kyle and his sergeant, another believer, lost their lives in combat. Chatting with James the other day, he, James remembered parts of that letter and that new song, that story was shared at Kyle's service. James shared it last Sunday. I'm sharing it right now. I, I never met Kyle. I'll never, never forget Kyle and his new song. When you have a song or a story, it goes on and on. God uses it. It's powerful. It's powerful. It's powerful. Psalm 40 it's just a great reminder that we do not need to remain in a pit. 
I would imagine that there are some here this morning who are in a pit. Maybe some of you are struggling to get out of this pit. Some of you may believe that due to a sin from the past or maybe a current sin that, you know what, God can't use you. Can I tell you something? God's a God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances. Look at King David. (laughs) Look at King David. The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. Listen, listen. When we have sinned, we must recognize the sin. We must confess the sin. We must repent of the sin. Now, God's forgiveness doesn't save us from the consequences of our conduct. But if we abandon the behavior and are willing to accept the consequences, God will use us, and he wants to use us. Folks, there are stories galore of of men and women in the past who failures weren't fatal. God God used these people in a huge way. Look at John Mark. He abandoned Paul and Barnabas. Now, not really sure why he abandoned them, but we know it wasn't honorable. All right? And when Barnabas later suggests to Paul that they go get John Mark, Paul refuses. And such a strong disagreement arises between Paul and Barnabas. They separate. They did multiple missions trips together, and they no longer work together. However, Many years later, Paul is sitting in prison awaiting trial, and he writes a letter to the church of Colossae, and he not only tells them that John Mark is with them, but he's been a great comfort to Paul. And he also tells them that they are to welcome John Mark if he shows up. This young man who had so sorely disappointed Paul now became a man who brought Paul comfort. How exciting is that? John Mark was a personality that caused division in the body. And now Paul proudly calls him a fellow worker. And what about Paul? (laughs) All right, before Paul became the writer of, of, what, two-thirds of the New Testament, he was Saul of Tarsus. He was an absolute terror in the church. He gave his approval for Stephen to be martyred. I mean, Paul's mission was to destroy the early church. And he and others went to house to house arresting believers. Then, of course, Paul, or Saul at the time, on the road to Damascus, meets the resurrected Christ. The rest is history. What about Peter? Who doesn't love Peter, right? I mean, I mean, can we... I just resonate with Peter, all right? Peter was probably the biggest personality in any room he walked in. He just, he was Peter, you know? And, and, and he was a very close friend uh, of Jesus. You know, and they, they, were, they were close. And, and Peter was the, the only disciple who tried to walk on water. And, and Peter was the first to call Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. But when Jesus predicts that Peter will deny him, Peter proudly Proudly rebuffs him. But that very night, when Jesus is arrested, someone comes up to Peter and saying, weren't you one of his followers? Peter did not deny him once, not twice, three times. Three times.
times. We know that Peter realized what he did. He broke down and he wept. But do you think Peter was in a pit? Can you imagine what Peter went through the next couple of days? I can't even fathom that. But did Peter's failure exclude him from the plans of Jesus, of Christ? No. On the contrary, Peter's the first of the 12 that Jesus appears to. And we know that he restores Peter in a very touching moment on the Sea of Galilee. And Peter becomes a leader of the disciples and, and preached the first evangelical message. Over 3,000 people were saved. God used Peter. God used Paul. He used John Mark. He can use you. Folks, there will be trials and tribulations in life. Come on. But there is always hope when you put your faith and trust in God. We have a young man. A young man who has gone through the first five stages of what I shared with you today. We have a young man who put the stake in the ground so enough is enough. And this morning, I want to give this young man an opportunity to share stage six so we can trust in God. His man is, is, is Doug Dixon, and I am so, so proud of Doug. And I'm going to ask Doug to come up here right now, share his story, and folks, you will be blessed. 